Hello, and welcome to Podcast Ally, a podcast created by and for podcasters and the listeners that love them. My name is Emma Katz, and I'm one of the researchers at Podcast Ally. This job means that I listen to lots of shows every day, and one of my favorites is Katie Dalebout's Let It Out. Let It Out is a podcast of long-form conversations about anything and everything in the life of a creative person. Katie describes the show as a venue for sharing soft stories, the stories that reveal our most tender selves. Katie and her guests talk about body image, career transitions, staying inspired, nurturing your artistic self, making connections, and a lot more. What I love about this show is how Katie goes deep with her guests on a huge range of topics. She doesn't shy away from being vulnerable, and it's both fascinating and comforting to hear people working out big questions about how to live a good and fulfilling life. I'm so lucky to be here today with Katie. Katie, welcome to the show. Oh my goodness, Emma, that is such a beautiful intro. Thank you so much for having me. We've been chatting a bit before this for like 20 minutes because I just am so honored and excited to be here. It's a really cool project. That was beautiful. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Can you start by telling us more about Let It Out, the concept of soft stories and what inspired you to create the podcast? Yes, I would love to. It's a little bit challenging to remember exactly each iteration because those two questions are actually pretty separate. What you asked about soft stories came much later than starting the show. When I began, I was 22 years old. I was living in Michigan by myself. I was pretty lonely. I was listening to a lot of podcasts and I had studied broadcast journalism in college And at that time, I happened to be very into wellness. This is, again, much like podcasting. Wellness has had a huge boom of becoming something that's much bigger than it was. I'll just say that. But at the time, I'm teaching yoga. I'm very steeped in that topic and in that world. And I start a show where I'm talking to people about habits and routines but really in the lens of wellness, like that's kind of how it started. And it was me just wanting to get an hour of their time to people who I admired. And I wanted to be able to ask questions about the minutia of their day. And the show has grown and transitioned many, many iterations, but it's always a mirror. It always depicts where I am as the host through what I'm asking about and what topics I'm interested in. And at the beginning, it was very steeped in wellness. And then it, it broadened out from there because I started to realize that wellness isn't yoga and green juice exclusively. It's also connection and creativity and how we spend our days and how we fight with resistance of doing the thing that we want to do and how we move through that. And that's really what the show has become. And I changed the name halfway through, which I was pretty nervous about, but I changed the name to let it out. And I've done over 400 interviews at this point, and it's been nine years. And then to your question about soft stories, that's something that came in later. My platform grew as a result of having this podcast and interviewing people. And I got a book deal and I wrote this book about journaling. I found writing to be such a useful 
tool for my emotional wellness. Like I really don't know what I'm feeling emotionally until I start writing. Journaling and writing for emotional wellness has been really useful to me. And so I wanted to put some of those prompts somewhere. And this book is 55 journaling prompts as well as other bits from me. And it's called Let It Out because I believe the answer you're looking for is inside of you in your intuition. And we just need to be quiet enough to be able to hear it. And journaling slows us down enough to be able to do that. And and so that was the title of the book. And then it kind of made sense to just make that the title of the show, because at that point, I was still talking about wellness vaguely, but I was talking about a lot of other things. And I wanted a title that I felt could encompass more. And it felt like it would just be easy to make it that one. And so I I did. And I was working with this agency to do a, a rebrand of my website, actually. This is more recently. This is like 2018. But that's when I came up with Soft Stories because I wanted to relaunch with something new. And one of the people at that agency, we were just sort of tossing ideas around. And he was like, what about Soft story? Like something about softness. I don't really remember how it happened he was talking about like letting out the story. Like, what are we letting out? What is it? And I was like, gentle, tender, tender tales. I was just kind of tossing things out. And then one of us used the word soft. And I was like, soft stories. And then my friend who's eight, he's my friend's son, but also my friend. And I'm very close with him. His name's Soren. And he made up this word maybe around the same time. He was very into saying softening, like, no, no, no. That is a word. He was saying so- soften. Like so- it was a little bit off of what the word in the dictionary would be. And I just really liked that as a concept. And then I'm rebranding and relaunching this website. And I wanted to do it around this concept of soft stories, because I believe when we share, when we talk about something that is potentially vulnerable or embarrassing, and we share that with someone else and they listen, that's how we can connect. That's one really good way to connect is through our vulnerability. And Brene Brown says that shame can't exist when it's shared. So I had that in my brain and soft stories just felt like that's what we do here. That's what we let out on the show. It might not be every time, but every once in a while, someone will share something deep or someone will share something somewhat vulnerable and we'll be able to connect and someone eavesdropping on that conversation will be able to feel a contact high of connection hopefully as well. And so that's sort of where that concept came from. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. I love so many things about what you just said, especially the fact that you have an eight-year-old friend. I also have kids and I just love the fact that you can recognize their wholeness and personhood. Yes, like a child can also be your friend. Absolutely. How old are your kids? I have a son who is six and a daughter who's four. Yeah, I I always talk to kids like they're adults. And I think part of that is because I don't know that much about parenting and and being a caretaker of children. And I spend a lot of time around grownups, but I'm an only child. And so I was always around grownups as a kid. And I appreciated it when they spoke to me like I was a person. So that's what I do. Yeah, I love that. I also thought it's so interesting, the juxtaposition of let it out in 
journaling, which is a very personal and private thing. And having that side by side with letting it out in a conversation and then a conversation that's also very public on a podcast. How do those things tie together for you and how do they work together? It's interesting because the level of vulnerability and the level of openness that I guide people to have journaling is, to your point, completely opposite of what I would guide someone to share in a conversation that's being recorded and shared with potentially hundreds, thousands, millions of people. I would always say this to guests who came on my show. At the beginning, there was maybe, you know, there was no one and there were 10 and there were maybe 100. But those guests are now in the archive and now there's a bunch of people listening. And sometimes people still go back to those people. You never know, even if it is a small podcast, there could be someone who becomes really famous and then people like go do a deep dive on them. You're creating something that is archivable and searchable. Right now, I know I'm just talking to you, Emma. However, I'm aware that this is not my journal. And I'm aware that what I'm saying can be interpreted by other people. And what's so useful about the practice of journaling is that you're not writing for anyone else to read it. You're writing for yourself. You're writing for processing. And of course you can share that. Sometimes when I'm journaling, it's like, oh, that's a pretty good idea. Or like that should become a newsletter, a blog. I don't know. I don't make a blog, but one could make a blog post of it or someone could write an email based on something that they wrote in their journal. But the reason that it feels so useful to journal emotionally is because you're able to share your high highs and your low lows and feel safe to do that without having to acknowledge another person's emotions or worry about how it's going to be perceived. You're just able to do it. You're able to just do it for yourself to parse out how you feel. And that level of vulnerability creates more self-awareness and then a deeper connection to yourself. And then therefore you can take that into other modalities and practices like therapy or a conversation with your partner or a project creatively. I think that's why it's so useful. And then conversation, which is what let it out is, I love when you can get into a volley of conversation where it's honest and open and real. And I love getting to that point. I don't in every episode and I don't in every conversation in real life. But when I do, it feels really good. It's sort of the aim. It's sort of the hope of each episode is that we get there at some point. And I hope to guide us there, not in a way of I'm going to see how I can get a rise out of this person or I can really get them to share something. But I want to make them feel comfortable, not as comfortable as they would be in their journal. But you said a version of this to me at the beginning of, of this. And I always say to the guests, listen, this is a safe space. This is not a gotcha show. This will not be cut up into a million pieces. However, I edit and I'm 
happy to edit out anything that you misspeak or anything that you say that you wish you hadn't said or an interview that I do is a profile of a person, but it's not like the New Yorker or someone who spends time with someone for months or a year and really writes about what's going on in their life so honestly and interviews other people in their life and really creates a profile of this person. What I'm doing is not really that. It's a time capsule of an hour and a half, an hour, two hours that I spend with someone that day. And I want it to be honest and raw and real. And also, I might not be able to break through that shell with someone. And we can talk about this for sure, but there have been times where I haven't been able to do that, where someone was pitched to me and I said yes when I really shouldn't have. And we couldn't break through that barrier of this person being like, I'm here to promote my thing, my whatever it is. And every time I tried to ask a question outside of that or have a moment of humanness, it really wasn't met with that. But my hope is that we have some moments of realness, of vulnerability, of connection, because I don't know if you've had this experience before, but in non-recorded conversations and in my conversations in the world, I have moments where I'm in my ego and I'm very self-aware and I'm considering each thing that I say, like, what are they going to think of that? Or are they going to judge that? Or maybe I can chameleon myself to say something that I know they'll like, or let me put this joke here. I'm very aware of myself. And then somewhere, like maybe I just get sick of that or the, they say something that makes me feel comfortable enough to be like, yeah, I don't even know why I said that. I don't even actually believe that actually, like I'm having a pretty tough day or actually this is what's really going on. You have to feel safe and comfortable to be able to let it out and be able to connect. And that's what you hopefully have with your journal, unless you're really afraid someone's going to find it or read it. And I hope that I can make people feel close to as comfortable as possible in a conversation that is going to be recorded and shared. (laughs) For sure. And it's amazing how much practice you have now with doing that. You recently released your 400th episode. I was so amazed by that. Do you have favorite or memorable interview where you felt that that honesty and vulnerability was really coming through in a special way? I mean, a lot of them. I often say I interview friends and strangers who become friends or I hope become friends and it doesn't always happen. But I don't know if I said this or meant to say this when I was talking about how I help people start podcasts, but podcasting is the new networking. That's one thing I always say because it's allowed me to meet so many people through not only the guests, you know, at this point, I've talked to over 400 people. I don't even think my great great grandmother in her small town knew 400 people. So that is great. And then also through all the people who listen, I've met them in everywhere from Amsterdam to Paris to Berlin to Australia, Indonesia, and then all over the States. And that's been tremendous. There have been moments with listeners that I've felt I've gotten there because I've been pretty vulnerable in a lot of these episodes and laughed and cried and people who tell me they listen, I I feel like they do know me if they've listened and know me better than 
some of my friends here because over the course of these episodes, I've shared a lot and I feel more comfortable sharing on the podcast than I do in real life sometimes. There's this sort of veil of, yeah, people are listening, but you sort of forget about that. And the people who are there want to be there where that's uncertain when you're meeting someone or you're not sure if you will connect or if you're both are on the same page. And I guess just what comes to mind recently is, as you know, I get pitched a lot from publicists. I'm on several lists of people, I think, where it's just, we can get into this in more minutia, but email after email and standard email. And I'm on some list with some publicists of musicians and actors. And I try to read all of these pitches because I like to get back to people. And even if it takes me a bit, and you know that, I I try to. And I can't get back to everyone. But I think some of these lists are able to send me some really interesting people to interview who have pretty big audiences who I never would have been able to connect with without getting an email like this. I'm just giving it a quick example of a conversation recently that I feel like I did get to this point where I was able to connect with someone and it was a bit tricky because I often have on friends, people I know pretty well, and I'm usually more nervous to interview them than I am to interview strangers because with strangers, I feel very in control and like, okay, we're going here and I can go there and whatever. With a friend, I really care about doing them justice. It's kind of like having your partner meet your friends. You know what I mean? I'm like, I'm bringing you here. So let's make this good. That's a bit tough. And I always want it to feel real. And like, we're actually connecting and we're not just putting pennies into each other's jukebox and like spitting out a script. And I want to make sure they feel comfortable and they feel good about it. And with strangers, I still care about all of those things, but there's a bit more distance. And so the example that I want to bring up, I was pitched from a publicist, definitely on some random list of of people because this was like a real life celebrity. It was Joshua Jackson, the actor. Do you know who he is? He was in Dawson's Creek. Yes, I remember him from that. Yeah. And he's been in many, many things since then and Mighty Ducks. And so I was pitched by his publicist to have him on the podcast. And I was like, is this a joke? And also so funny and random, but he seems great. I'm down. I have talked to people who have a following and actors and musicians and comedians. And so it wasn't the first time I was interviewing a celebrity. I always do a ton of research, whether I'm interviewing my best friend or whether I'm interviewing Joshua Jackson or whoever it is. And, and I love that part. I love prepping for an interview. And that's definitely what I'm the best at is research and preparing and having a conversation with someone. I unfortunately do everything else for my show too. I do marketing and I have someone selling ads for the show, but I manage a lot of that. I run our social media accounts, all the rest of those things I'm not very good at. And I don't really enjoy doing And maybe someday I won't, but the interviewing and the researching, I really enjoy and love and is why I do the other thing. So I'm doing that for him and I'm getting everything kind of together. And a friend of mine, Simi, who's, who's done my show, loves him, always has loved him. And I I must've talked to her that morning, right before I, I spoke to him. And I was just like, this is who I'm interviewing today. You know, have a good day. Talk to you later. I was like, what do you think I should ask? Like, I think I kind of vaguely said that. And she said something to me. 
I don't even really remember what it was, but it was something about his anti-racism work or something very specific about something that he'd written or said recently that I totally didn't catch in my research and I didn't see. I didn't even write it in my notes, but I just had clocked that and heard it. And I didn't have time to add that to the agenda of what I wanted to speak to him about, but it was in my brain somewhere. And oftentimes, as you know, when someone else is booking the guest, like I wasn't texting with Joshua Jackson at that point to figure out the zoom or whatever. It was his manager and agent talking to his publicist. And then suddenly we're both on the zoom together. And Often they'll tell you how much time do you need? And my show's really long. It's like an hour and a half or two hours sometimes. And that's kind of a cop out. I often say, oh, it's just because I'm not very good at podcasting. It takes me that long to get to something good. But really the likelihood of getting to a moment of connection when you have more time is clear because someone will feel more comfortable the more time that passes. But often that's not possible. So I told them how much time I would prefer. They told me, how about a half an hour? I said, can we do 45 minutes? And they were like, you can ask him, but like, probably not. And oftentimes celebrities like that, or when someone has a book coming out even, or whatever it is, they're often doing press all day. And that's what he was doing. So we get on the Zoom, he's in his kitchen, and we have this lovely conversation before recording. And then we start recording. And we get into this really great volley. And I think he ended up staying over an hour. And at one point, his baby woke up and he was like, oh, you know, the boss is up. I got to go, actually. But this is really nice to talk to you. And at the end there, we had this moment where whatever it was that Simi had told me, I brought up and we talked about nostalgia and how people rewatch Dawson's Creek or hold him to his old work and how does that feel for him? And is he a nostalgic person? And we talked about depression and we talked, it got to this really kind of beautiful place. And I think that that was because after half an hour, people can kind of forget their recording and just be people with each other. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And they're very aware that they're being recorded. They get a bit robotic, but that wasn't the case with him. And I think he's just a lovely individual and we had a great conversation, but that's one that came to mind just because of the sort of wildness of that story. Yeah, that's so amazing that you were able to get this public figure to open up to you just through the process of having a long form conversation and both being open individuals. Yeah, this might come up in what you want to ask me about, but I've had the opposite with people who have been pitched to me who are not public figures at all like that, or they might have a an online course or a couple hundred people following them on Instagram. But for whatever reason, they're so into the promotion of their work that they can't put that down to be a person with me and just have a, a winding conversation. And that's what I do on my show. I know that's not what every show is. Some shows, they might ask them to teach something or it might be more directive. And I think knowing what the show is coming on as a guest is quite important. And I really appreciated your email to me asking me to be a guest on this. And I wanted to ask you before this, like I did, what would be most advantageous to your listeners? What do you want to talk about? And I want to be useful, but I also want to be in the format of the show. And when that's not 
reciprocated. It's a bummer. Yeah, absolutely. That's the rule we live by is don't stretch your pitch because you want someone to be interviewed or you want to be interviewed on a specific podcast. If it's not a good fit, then you have to respect the person's time who's making the podcast. You have to respect your own time and know that that's not the best use of either of your work to try and stretch and make something that just isn't right. Yeah, read the room. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm interrupting this episode because I know you're here because you want to leverage podcast interviews. Maybe you're looking to grow your network or bringing new leads, or maybe you've been invited on a podcast and you're looking to get more intentional and proactive with reaching out to podcasts to suggest yourself as a guest. And most likely you're listening because you're looking for some help. Either you want some help with your messaging or just brainstorming the right podcast to reach out to. Well, you're in the right place, my friend. Our podcast planning intensives mean you don't have to do it alone. They're led by senior members of our pitch team who are working with podcasts every single day and me, which means you get two extra brains working on your podcast outreach and the programming. We'll work with you to identify which podcasts will bring you closer to your goals and write up your own personal pitch scripts for those shows. We'll help you put together a plan to leverage every interview, and we'll give you the context you need to book those interviews. Plus, we support you as you start that outreach process. Sound like a dream? Come on over to podcastally.com forward slash VIP to learn more about our podcast planning intensives and to get the help you're looking for. That's podcastally.com forward slash VIP, where you can find all the info and book an intensive. Now let's get back to the show. I was thinking when you said before that you had said yes to some pitches that you shouldn't have. I'm wondering if you can expand on that a little bit. Besides not having a productive conversation or as a productive conversation as you would have liked, what made you look back on the pitch and say, I never even should have said yes to this one? Well, I learned a lesson early on. One time, very early on, someone asked to do the podcast. This was someone who had found my show and she sent me a Facebook message about wanting to come on. And I was so like, oh my God, this is incredible. So we do the interview and it just was bad. I couldn't connect even though I had researched. It was just, I could feel it even back then, you know, I was 22 years old. I'd done nothing, (laughs) but I just could feel it wasn't as good as the other ones I had done. And at that point it was probably 10 of them or maybe 20, maybe I'd been doing it for a year or so, but it was something like that. And I didn't put that one out and it just kind of fizzled. Like I was really ahead back then. I had a bunch recorded, so they weren't weren't coming out immediately, but this person never asked about it and it just kind of worked out, but it taught me a lesson of like, maybe it's better if you're excited about it and you ask people to come on like you've been doing because it didn't go so well the other way. And then of course, cut to several years later. Now I get at least, 10, 15, sometimes 20 a day, depending on the day or the time of year. I have a filter in my email that says, 
guest inquiries for let it out. And I have a form email that I write back and one's called a nice no, (laughs) a nice maybe. And there are some that are just hard no. And I say something like, thank you so much for reaching out to the show. Unfortunately, this isn't a fit, but please keep in touch. And it means so much that you cared about looking at this. And it is a form email just because I get so many and I want to respond, but I do genuinely mean that. And I try to personalize it if they personalize the email to me, which oftentimes people don't, or they give me the wrong name or they straight up like say it's a different podcast. And then there are some that I'm like, wow, this is cool, but we are truly booked right now. And I just did something like this. So I'll give it more, please reach out in the future. Let's revisit this later or whatever, something like that. But I started getting those maybe five years in and then now I get more. And I usually, to be so honest with you, don't say yes to things that are pitched to me. I look at all of them because every once in a while there might be a gem in there. Like you emailed me with someone named Ray and they did my podcast recently. And I loved that conversation. And we actually really connected and they were aware of my show from before the name changed of my show. And it was great. And I loved your pitch. And I thought that it was a great fit for our show. And I emailed you back. So that is an example of that. Joshua Jackson is an example of that. So there are some exceptions to my rule, but they are rare. And I'll say this too, with all of the pitches that I get, I have to keep in consideration what I am looking for on the show, right? So I am prioritizing BIPOC, LGBTQ plus individuals. So those sorts of emails where I sense that I look at even more so, but I still don't say yes to everyone just because they fall into those categories, but those get more priority in my inbox right now. And not everyone might be prioritizing that. And I have lots of other very specific considerations for my programming. Another one is anyone who is at all promoting weight loss or dieting, even vaguely, it's a hard no for me because I have this eating disorder background. The show's really covered that. It's a safe space for people who come from that background. I know there's a huge percentage of people who found me through that sort of work. So for me, not a fit, even though it could be like a huge celebrity, it's just not gonna work. And there are other considerations too that are just specific to the show of, you know, I really want to talk more about this topic this season or whatever it is. So those all come into play. For sure. That makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned a few of the things that do make a guest pitch stand out, like people from underrepresented groups, BIPOC or queer voices. Are there any other things that make a pitch really stand out to you and maybe go into your potential pile rather than nice no or hard no pile? I mean, for the record, there's no hard no. It's only a nice no. (laughs) But I mean, this might be my ego, but it really is nice when someone says something specific about the show enough for me to be like, oh yeah, they listened. They know what this is. Or I can't tell you how many times people have been like, hi, I love almost 30, just fully getting it wrong or fully cookie cuttered. I've had a couple of funny moments with my friend, Katie Horowitz has a podcast and kind of does something similar to me. And people will often say my name correctly because we both have the same name, but pitch me for her 
podcast and I'll just forward it along and be like, this is for you. And, and I get it. Like I I've been there too, of sending out a bunch of emails. It's easy to mess up. It happens. But I think if you're really excited about a podcast, listen to it, say something specific about it, give them compliments. I pitch people too. I, I send a lot of emails asking people to come, come on this podcast. And when I was starting out, I was really asking for an hour of people's time and not giving them much back at all because it wasn't a promotional opportunity really then. And so the way I sent those emails and a lot of people said yes back then was humbly telling them how much their work meant to me specifically because it did (laughs) and it was true and it was genuine. And so I think being true and genuine and honest and I'll say it complimentary (laughs) and it's different pitching guests because you probably are more likely to like them and have engaged with their work than pitching shows. But if you can, and I know that's not possible because you're probably doing a very high volume of pitching and you're not going to have time to listen to all of those shows, but maybe pick out a select few that you can, or if you're just an individual pitching yourself, that's one way to do it. I'm no publicist, but from the receiving end, that's what's worked for me. We actually always listen to a podcast before we pitch it. So that's really good advice to anybody who's trying to pitch themselves. Please listen to at least part of some episodes of the show that you think that you want to be on to find out what it's all about. Aside from the ones you just mentioned, are there any other big pet peeves you have when receiving a pitch? I don't know if I even have any pet peeves. I think it's funny when they get the wrong name or they fully say my name differently or you can just tell to form email. One thing that is a pet peeve, and I don't know why this happens and I don't blame anyone for it, but I'll often get the same. I'm like, you emailed me like two times in the row. <laughs> like that happens a lot. And then people are very good at following up. They're very good at their job, but I don't check my email every second or every day even. And so the really intense three follow-ups that's like I guess this will be my last attempt and I get it like it does work to follow up and boomerang and I've done that I've been an email pest to getting someone to come on my show and I've followed up and emailed a bunch of times so it does work and it doesn't even necessarily bug me it's just a reality of what this is is that follow-up but no I'm flattered honestly if someone wants to put an email in my inbox asking someone to come on, I'm grateful that I even am considered. And even if you have to say no, people understand, but I can't think of anything that's like a huge pet peeve, but I'll probably check my email later today and be like, oh man, I should have said this. Who knows? That's so kind of you that you're flattered by it all these pitches. It's very nice that you can keep that perspective on it. I am just grateful that I get to do this. Any time that anybody tells me that they listen or any time that a brand wants to collaborate with me or someone wants to come on the show, it means that it's real. It means that I'm doing something. What do they say? The worst thing that someone can do to you isn't be mean to you. It's to have you not exist, to say they don't care. I'm like, butchering the statement, but it's something like that. And I think this shows that I was on some list, you know, and that means something to me. It's the little things to me. Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, congratulations again on reaching your 400th episode, Mark. What are your hopes and dreams for the show in the future? I'm honestly in a phase of sorting that out right now. I need to spend some time alone. I need to really think about how I want to do this and how I want to move forward because having done something for 10 years means that it needs to evolve and it has evolved a bit, but I think I need some space to really see how I want it to evolve and what exactly that means. The lovely thing about doing an interview show is that it's different every time based on the fact I'm having a different conversation partner every time. And so there's a variety in topics, there's a variety in tone and cadence, and then just the passage of time and what's going on in the world, like always marks what the show will be about in this time capsuling sort of a way. But I would love in the future to be able to do more logistically challenging content. I really would love to have roundtable discussions about a topic. I'd love to do more live episodes. I'd love to be able to do a more narrative style show or episode, or I'd love, I'd love to be able to really focus on the booking and pitching and interviewing and research part and have someone else completely do ads and completely do marketing and social media and the parts that I'm not good at and build the show up and and have it be self-sustainable financially. And I'd love to do a tour and I'd love to, I mean, I always laugh when I say this, but I love doing live podcasts and having an audience there. I've done a lot of hosting and emceeing work and that kind of hits what I wanted to do originally with broadcast journalism. And I got to go to a music festival once and we had a little recording lounge in the music festival and I got to interview some of my favorite musicians, one of them being Andrew Bird and Yolklore and these writers and people who were at this festival and they would come in into my little recording booth. It was like a couch and someone knitted a sign that said, let it out. And I got to be at this music festival and interview artists. And I would love to do that at Sundance and watch a film and interview the people who made it. And that's what I've always wanted to do. And podcasting has been amazing because it's allowed me to be able to do something that 30, 40 years ago really was only if you worked at a network or you worked in a very specific sort of job where now anybody at home with a microphone can develop the craft and interview people hopefully. And then that could extend to a different opportunity. So I would love to do things, you know, whether it's a media company or a network hires me. And I think I might use the last 10 years plus of my show as a portfolio piece to be like, this is my capabilities hosting. And this is my capabilities booking and researching and interviewing. And maybe I can do more on a larger scale if I have more resources that I don't necessarily have now. But I'm also really proud of the amount of downloads and listeners and people I've interviewed and content that I've done at this level while also figuring out how to support myself and do things outside of that. And it's given me so much. I'm so grateful for the medium. So we'll see, but I definitely am going to keep doing it for as long as I can and use it as the networking. I, you know, I hate the word networking, but I guess a way to meet people, a introduction service, it kind of gives you a way to 
have conversations with people that you might not be able to without it being recorded. And that's just a reality of the situation. I probably would never have spoken to Joshua Jackson if it wasn't for this weird reality that we live in where someone that works for him emailed this random person. And here we are talking about our parents' divorce for a couple of minutes and actually connecting. That would not have happened without the advent of podcasting. Yeah, it's such an amazing medium for that reason. And then the fact that there are so many people who are riding on the subway or driving in their cars and are listening to the two of you have that conversation and also feeling an emotional connection to it or maybe thinking about their own parents' divorce or whatever it is that's going on in their lives. That's also what I love about podcasting personally. Just to wrap up, you kind of segued into it nicely talking about how this medium is so accessible to really anybody who gets a microphone and some software on their computer. Can you tell everyone a little bit more about your podcasting course and what you're offering in that program? I would love to. Yeah. I mean, I always say that if anybody wants to start a podcast, they absolutely should. It's not for everybody, but if it's something that you've been wanting to do, I think you should do it. And that is the one thing I feel really confident about after having so many conversations with artists and creative people in so many different disciplines and decades and locations that it's sort of the through line of, I'm a good cheerleader for creativity and helping people make what they want to make. And Seth Godin talks about shipping it, putting it out, because that's when you can get feedback and iterate. And it's hard because it's scary to do that. But I think it's really important that if you want to make something, the idea doesn't just stick in your head and you make it. And the reason why I started helping other people start podcasts is because I kind of fell into it. You know, I I loved broadcast journalism and I loved interviewing people when I was in journalism school. Like I really enjoyed cold calling people and interviewing people. And my friend who I lived with, my roommate in college, we were in the same program and she would do my hair, pick up my outfits for me. She ended up becoming a stylist actually, but she would do that for me while I would be doing her interviews where I would just call and pretend to be her and call the fire station and be like, hi, this is Jane from Journalism 108. And I just pretend to be her or whatever. And then I loved that. And so when I wanted to start a podcast after college, I just did the part I really loved at that time, which was interviewing. And I had a boyfriend at the time who did the parts I didn't like, not only didn't like, but like literally couldn't do. And I'm sure I could have figured it out. I'm just not great at that. It's not my skill set. I tend to, if I can't find the remote, just be like, well, I'm not watching TV. And that's a bad example, but I give up very easily with figuring things out like that, especially technical things. And I think with a project where there's so many moving parts, it feels like it can be really daunting for someone who I'm like really neurodivergent and have a very tough time focusing. So I was able to do the part I loved. I trusted that he would take care of the rest and he did. And he really helped me, but eventually we broke up. You know what I mean? So eventually he was no longer going to edit my silly thing and, and make sure it got to iTunes. So he taught me how to do it and I figured it out and I did it myself. But the difference between me doing it myself is that he sat there with me 
and taught me how to do it. I didn't have to go to Google and figure it out. And he taught me how to do it in the specific way that worked for me in this format. And I had been doing podcasting for two, three years at that point. And people would ask me like, what microphone do you use? How do you do it? Why did you want to start a podcast? All these things. And I would tell them humbly. And eventually it became a Google doc that I would just send people kind of a form email because I got it so much. And then five years in, it was, how do you get ads? You're making money on this. Who do you want to interview? What do you do? All these questions. So like, I almost made like a frequently asked questions, Google doc. And then it just grew and grew and grew. And then I was like, you know what? I kept doing these phone calls with people where I was talking to them for hours and helping like, okay, let's do this. Let's do it. And somebody said to me, you know, that's this coaching. You can pay a fee for consulting. I really open up the hood of my knowledge and give people everything that I've ever learned. And I put it into a course. It's 10 modules and I've done countless coaching calls within it too, where I help people troubleshoot and whatever. And that's all in there. It's everything from coming up with a concept and naming it and talking that through to interviewing and sharing it. And then the technical side of editing and getting into iTunes and, and then marketing it, getting it to people so they hear it and sharing and what that feels like. And then it's also monetizing eventually. And I'm going to do a discount. So people listening to this, if they use the code ally, they'll get a percentage off. And all of that is together in the course. But if someone has a podcast and they really just want to learn about marketing and monetizing, or they really just want to learn about interviewing specifically, I recently parsed those two out a la carte if people just want those bits. So that's a possibility as well. But yeah, I'm putting it on sale just for you. And it'll be 20% off. And if people want it, great. If they have any questions about it, email me. And my email is just katie at let it out with three T's.com. I'm happy to help people out because I think, like I said, rising tide lifts all boats. And this medium has given me so much that if anyone wants to do it, I think that they should do it. And I know it can seem like everybody and their brother has a podcast and that might be true, but no one has the podcast that you're going to make through you, even if it's the same as someone else's concept. And you're like, oh, but they just did that. It's like, yeah, okay, well, they're not you. So yeah, I'm very encouraging of it. Thank you. That's so generous of you. And as a person who's started one podcast and hopes to start another someday, I also am going to check that out and really appreciate it. Oh, good. And I just want to say for our listeners that just to repeat what you said, the code is ally, A-L-L-Y. And the website to learn more about it is katiedelbout.com slash podcast dash kit. I just wanted to end inspired by you the way that you always end your show by asking if there's anything else that you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance to. Now's the moment. The moment to let it out. (laughs) Yes. Well, I wasn't going to steal your entire line, but yeah, the moment to let it out. No, I love it. Thank you. This is incredible. Thank you so much. I hope you start your next podcast and yeah, email me separately. I would love to to hear about it. And you were a tremendous interviewer. And I, one thing I always say to people is like to be a good guest is to give short answers. And I did not do that today at all, but hopefully it's useful what I, what I shared to people. And if they're at all curious about me and my work, I'd love to connect with you further, but you did great. And thank you so much for having me. And I'm so grateful that I 
was invited and I'm happy that podcasting can connect so many people. Like I got to meet you. I feel the same. Thank you so much. This has really been a pleasure. I'll just end by saying that everyone should go and subscribe to let it out. It's on any podcast player that you like, and you can jump in anywhere, but I just listened to the 400th episode. We've been talking a bunch about that with Alyssa Benjamin. And I think that's a really great place to start to get a sense of where the show started and where it's gone. And also I think about an hour into it, you guys talk about this concept of inner stability, which I just loved. And that really resonated with me. So go subscribe. And if you feel like it, you can start there. Thanks so much, Katie. Thank you so much. I'm so grateful. And and thanks for listening to that episode with my friend. That, That means so much. 